0: It was when you came on your official visit, they played like the old school movie with the four horsemen and uh, the old school Notre Dame. And you got the, and there's (laughs) Now that's a follow-up question, (laughs) Eric Hansen. That's a heck of a follow-up question right there. If you can be physical and if you can take the breath out of somebody by hitting them, man, it don't matter how many yards or or what the offense is or what the schemes are. That'll always be the same. But I still think there's a place for Notre Dame and the ideals of Notre Dame football in the, wide broad scope of the sport right now. Uh,
1: Eric, I'm hoping I don't run into
0: you in South Bend because you'll probably cost me around a drink. From
2: the South Bend Tribune and
0: ND Insider. This is the Pot of Gold podcast with Tyler James and Eric Hansen.
2: Welcome everybody to another edition of Pot of Gold and ND Insider podcast. I'm Tyler James and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together we cover Notre Dame football for ND Insider and the South Bend Tribune. The Podicle Podcast is brought to you by Zaxby's, the home of handmade-to-order chicken, salads, and more than a dozen mild-to-wild sauces. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today. And Tire Rack, the way tire buying should be. Eric, the 2019 college football season is officially over following LSU's 42-25 win over Clemson in the national championship game. But the offseason has long been in full swing for Notre Dame with a steady stream of news. The latest in the last week includes quarterbacks coach Tommy Reese being promoted to offensive coordinator, running backs coach Lance Taylor taking on the title of run game coordinator, and backup quarterback Phil Jakovic transferring and enrolling at Boston College. In order to discuss the latest events and review the season one last time, we invited on one of our favorite guests back onto the podcast, and that's former Notre Dame quarterback Brady Quinn. Brady, thanks for joining us. No
0: problem, guys. Thanks so much for having me on.
2: Brady, after news of Tommy Reese's promotion to offensive coordinator came out um, the other day, you t- tweeted uh, your support of that hiring. Why do you think the offense is in good hands with Tommy Reese?
0: Well, I think for a number of reasons. You know, to, to start off with the fact that you know how you know how how much better does it get than a guy who's literally been in the shoes of Ian Book, um, the the quarterback, the most important position of the offense, the guy who's orchestrating the whole thing. You know, you know, how much better does it get than having a guy who's been in those shoes before, literally, um, as playing a former quarterback at Notre Dame and, and doing it at a high level. So, uh, that I think from that standpoint, he can help see from Ian's perspective and that vantage point. That's a very, very unique one in all of college sports. Uh, I think that's going to be helpful. But aside from that, I, look, I think Tommy, even though it's the way that he played back when he was a player, He's always been a more cerebral quarterback. You know, he, Dell, was a long time has been a long time scout the NFL organizations, and I, I really do believe that you know, this has always been kind of his path and his journey. Once his playing days were done, he was going to get into coaching, and he was going to eventually rise up the ranks. So, I personally don't think it's going to stop here. I think he'll eventually be a, a head coach as well. So, um, you know, if you just look at his past experience as far as how it's going to relate to Ian and helping him. With everything, whether it's football-led or not, I think that's going to be a huge hit for him. You know, now being in the position where he's the guy calling the plays, running the offense, uh, and then his past experience and just how it prepared him for this moment. I think quarterbacks are always very well prepared because when you're out there executing plays, you're always thinking of different plays to get to a different place that maybe would have been better in this situation. Um, but just even looking back and, and, and from spending time with him, you know, before the season last year, I spent a couple of days and sat in the quarterback room with him watched him, you know, watched him kind of broke down the installs and talked about, you know, what they're planning for that day during training camp. You just got the really, you know, a really strong sense that he's a teacher. He's a guy who understands that not all of those, you know, players or quarterbacks are going to learn the same. And so he had a different approach to each one of them. Same way in the classroom, same way in the field as far as how he approached each one of them. And I think the other thing is, just talking from a from philosophical standpoint, um, you know, he's going to implement a system that I think really does play to the strengths of, you know, Notre Dame's personnel. And and, and, and moving forward, you know, creating a system that I, I think has uh, or, or gives Ian Book more freedoms to kind of do more within the offense to put them in the best possible play.
1: Brady, there were some names, outside names, thrown around uh, Todd Munkin and especially Joe Moorhead. What's, what's your thought about Brian Kelly kind of taking a look at those guys? Did he owe himself – owe it to himself to kind of look outside just to make sure that he was making the best move. And how would have this turned out differently, do you think, if if let's say he hired Joe Moorhead?
0: Yeah, I think how it would turn out differently is Joe Moorhead would have been in the air for a year or two and he looked for a head coach job. You know, that's obviously what he wants to be. You know, I think this position, even though I, I do think Tommy will eventually become a head coach, I, I think that's probably further away than Joe Moorhead coming for a year or two. Uh, coming in, coaching the offense, and eventually moving on. So um, that's one thing I think. I think it creates more stability potentially at that specific position, at least in the short term. Um The other thing is, again, talking about the vantage point. You know, Joe Moorhead and his system that he's run he's obviously been effective, and he obviously understands uh, how to implement an offense that plays the strengths of some of their biggest playmakers. And you don't have to look at his progress and what he did with Saquon Barkley during his time at Penn State, but. Um, you know, things didn't work out in Mississippi State. Granted, he's moved on, you know, to an opportunity to, to, I believe it's what out at, um, if I'm not mistaken, Oregon. Yes. Um, and so, you know, I, I just think you look at the path that he's going to be on, I think he's, he was looking for a path that would be able to take him to the next head coaching job. And, and that's fine, but it doesn't mean he's necessarily going to be the right fit or the perfect fit for better day. I think understanding what Ian Book goes through and the rest of these players Having been a former student athlete in Notre Dame, it's a, it's an important vantage point to have. Uh, and, then, and then look on top of that, um, you know, I, I think they had those conversations with some of the other potential candidates who are out there. I just think when it, you know, sometimes you miss out on something that's right there in front of you that may be the best thing for you. Uh, instead, looking at, you know, thinking the grass is going to be greener on the outside, um, looking at a guy like Todd Munkin or a guy like uh, Joe Morton. Now, I think Todd Munkin's in the same position where you know, even if he was to come down to college for a year or two. He probably want to try to get right back up there to be in the NFL, potentially even a head coach at the NFL level. Uh, just you know, given his track record and given his reputation at that level.
2: Brady, I know it's a small sample size we're talking about, but did you learn anything about Tommy Reese as a play caller from the Camping World Bowl?
0: I think the one thing that you know gives me a lot of optimism for him is just you know the, the way they stuck to the run game, and and that's that's a strength of Notre Dame. If you look at the types of players that were you know Notre Dame's been putting out into the NFL late, it's been a lot of. Uh, offensive linemen, it's in a lot of tight ends. Um, you know, that, that's a missing, um, it, it's, it's missing, I think, with a lot of teams nowadays, that toughness, the ability to really control games, run the football. I think that really plays, you know, to Notre game strengths as far as what they recruit, what they develop, and then how they can go about winning football games and competing with some of the best in the country. So, um, again, small sample size, but just, you know, from that, and even if i with them in training camp beforehand and talking about, you know, how they would address certain looks uh, as they were preparing for their opening game versus Louisville, and what he would do differently, or or what their checks were, or how they you know went about um, just constructing their offense. You just got the sense that you know, he really does value the running game. He really does value balance and taking advantage of you know those looks in the running game when they're there, and not just try to throw the football around a bunch um, because you know you might have the personnel to do so, or because. Um, you want to make a name for yourself, typically the guys who end up climbing the ladder fastest or guys who, you know, chuck the football around all the time. Well, that, that might make sense versus some opponents. It might make sense depending on your personnel at times, but there's also going to be some games where you have to, you know, control the clock, control the line of strength to run the football. So I think it has got a strong feeling for all that.
1: Brady, you know, Brian Kelly was pretty clear that the reason Chip Long is a former offensive coordinator at Notre Dame and not the current one is because, of things other than the X's and O's from a pure X's and O's standpoint. And and really as it specifically addresses Ian book, is there a chance Tommy in 2020 could be an upgrade in some ways, just because of the relationship of play caller to quarterback, or, or do you think there's going to be a learning curve and we're going to have to wait on that version of Tommy Reese? Well,
0: there's definitely going to be a learning curve. I mean, he's only called one game. So there's always going to be a learning curve when you first start out at something. I mean, even the, the greatest of all time or whatever they're doing, but there's, there's going to be a pattern. They're, they're, they're going to have to figure out their identity with what they're doing. So there's going to be a learning curve, but I, the couple of things that stand out to me that I think you're going to see more from this offense is one, Tommy's got a really good feel for Ian because they sat in the room together as his quarterback coach. So he knows them, what he likes, what he feels comfortable with. And being able to read that as you prepare for Saturdays, but also on Saturdays, It's huge. It's a big piece of all of it. So, you know, I think that's going to play a greater portion of it. As as compared to maybe in the past, you know, Chip had his offense and you were going to run his offense. It was going to be, you know, the call that he threw out there. And I'm sure to some degree maybe Ian felt better with him at times and maybe some he didn't. But I just think the communication between Tommy Reese and Ian Book will be better than what it was in the past. And and then just to kind of touch on the last thing is, you know, I got the sense that from talking with Tommy and then watching the games that, you know, as much as maybe trying to highlight certain people within his offense, it was his offense. It's what he brought to Memphis. It's what he's, you know, trying to utilize and do. And it felt like he was just trying to stick players that they recruited in the different spots in any system instead of saying, let's create this offense around what we do really, really well and be flexible in, in what we're doing offensively. I think Tommy's understands that and has more of an ability to do that. Um, instead of, you know, putting these guys in positions where, like, well, this is what this position does, and this is what it, it does within this offense. And so he, here's how you're going to do it And like, let's say, all right, maybe we can move a Chase Claypool around a little bit. More. Maybe he could do more things and just try to isolate him and, and catch balls down the field or run certain routes Maybe we could do more with him. uh So I think just are going to see more of a variety of that stuff.
1: You know, I did some research, and the two most successful third-year starting quarterbacks in Notre Dame history are you and Jimmy Claussen, and it's not really statistically close, and you both made big jumps from year two to year three. Do you think there is that kind of statistical leap bubbling inside of Ian Book? And if so, where would that show up?
0: Um, I mean, it's, it's hard to put into it because I got a new offense, right? So each situation is so different. Um, you know, Charlie came in, and that's the first year with Charlie really within that system, so. Um, you know whether you want to throw on the offense, whether you want to put on a maturation process of myself or anyone else uh, on our offense. Um, it, it's just it's such a unique scenario. You know I, I really don't try to read into statistical stuff either. You know we seem tend to make a big deal about it, but you know we look at the frequency and the way guys are throwing the football now, the protection that receivers get, and and really the way the game's played uh, in the passing game in particular. Um, you know it's just it's a different game now. So. I, I try not to read in that stuff quite as much, to be honest with you, um, just because it, it's, it's, it, the game's changed a bunch even in just the past 10 years yeah. as far as seeing more spread, seeing more off-tempo. You know, I mean, heck, a, a fly sweep pass or a jet sweep pass now, that wasn't a thing back then. Um, it, it is now. You know, you can literally just catch the ball and push it forward, and the guy runs for 20 yards, that's completion. So it's just, you know, that, that sort of stuff kind of all caught up in the numbers and everything else. I, I think the thing that I would want to see for me and, you know, moving into next year is just how he manages within the pocket. I, I think there's, you know, talking to the coaching staff before the year and then watching, you know, this year go by, you know, one of the things they talked about with him was, you know, letting it loose, trying to take more shots downfield. And I think you saw that in, in some of the opponents that you'd expect to see that against, like a board green skate, for example. Uh, but then there's some other times against more difficult opponents where you're kind of hoping he's going to pull the trigger and he didn't. And, 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 that's going to be the next step is in those big games, in those big moments on the road versus Michigan, like pulling the trigger, taking those shot, taking those chances then. Uh, and then the other thing would just be the pocket test. You know, he's got a really good ability to create when he scrambles and runs, but there's also times when he, he actually has a clean pocket and he's leaving a clean pocket. He's leaving a good pocket or he, or he just needs to step up with that pocket and he's going to be just fine. Uh, and, and then there's still going to be some routes there. Or still, there's still going to be some open receivers there. There's the times where you know he would he would use that ability to be mobile and create and actually bring more pressure or more hits on himself and, and so I, I think it's just continuing to evolve and feeling comfortable in the pocket where it may not feel like you've got a good pocket but you just you step up find a little daylight you're good again it, it's making that big stride and, and so that's it's not a statistical thing but I think it'll show up as far as like when you're watching their offense they'll be able to move the ball more consistently. Um, and it's not going to feel as much as if, you know, if things are breaking down and he's got to scramble to make a play. He can still play within the confines of the system.
2: You're listening to the Pot of Gold podcast presented by Zaxby's. Before we hear more from Brady Quinn, let's take a short break. Brady, I think one thing that seems to be a little bit underestimated, in my opinion, is is the experiences that quarterbacks can get and the improvement that they can get, and particularly maybe in understanding the defenses and understanding what you're trying to do offensively against those defenses. How can you maybe describe, and I think it may be because we see a lot of quarterbacks come in right away as freshmen and have great success, um, and so people think, well, if a guy doesn't have great sex- success right away, why shouldn't we just try someone else in there? And I think some people thought that maybe Phil Dracovic deserved that chance, but... How can you maybe describe how the, the value and the experience that you had and how much that changed your understanding of the game and how that improved your, yourself as a quarterback?
0: Well, uh, again, yeah, I mean, a lot of things have changed now since what it was back then. You know, Back then I was trying to graduate high school early to enroll early. I would have done that at basically every other school, but at that time, Tyrone Williams had let me enroll early. And so it would have been more helpful to be able to get there in the spring and practice and then understand the offense. And, and that probably would have made school even a little bit easier that fall for me instead of it did it not only my I, I playing in every game, starting the fourth game on moving forward, but you're also dealing with, you know, fall class and the curriculum in the or game, which is incredibly difficult. Uh, I, I don't care what high school you come from. You know, they put a lot on your playpen. They really challenge you as a student-athlete. So, um you know, having the ability to, to enroll early, I think, is a lot of these young men a jump start. A lot of these kids nowadays have had uh, some of the best coaching coming up from the junior high and high school levels, with all the private quarterback coaching. I'm not saying all those guys are great, but for the most part, these kids are coming in very fundamentally sound, uh, and technically sound, and they know how to feel and they know what to look for in their throwing motion, and so they don't have those sorts of uh, hurdles you know, as far as the development when they first come in. So, uh, you know, all, all those things have, have changed, really, since I was even at school uh, or went to Notre Dame. And, and I think, again, going back to the system, the spread off and something else, you know, there's a lot more continuity, I think, you're seeing in what colleges are running and what kids are running to come out of high school. A lot of similar concepts, a lot of Zona read Incorporated as part of it, a lot of spread, and, and some of the different concepts within that. So, uh, I think the continuity is helping some of these true freshmen come in and have more of a chance at, at being able to say, you know, we call this on the, different, the same thing I read in high school. Uh, whereas, you know, when I came in, it was you know, Dennis Green's uh, West Coast offense at Ty Willingham, and, and Bill Deacon was running. And then it ended up being Charlie Weiss's offense to get around with the New England Patriots. And so it was an NFL system. that was much, much more cerebral. I mean, much more on the quarterback than what you're seeing now where you see everyone look at the sideline to get a call. So, um, you know, a lot of how the, the game has changed and, and just how everything is an expert as far as these kids getting the campus center, I think it's played a, a huge portion of them getting in there and being able to, um, you know, get down the offense and, and, and mold within the offense. And even for the coaching staff to kind of identify early on, like, is Phil Jacobic, is he going to work or not? Or is Brendan Clark maybe the better guy going into next year, um, you know, based on where Phil's at? Like, I, I think you could probably make those decisions. Through your scrimmages through your spring games and all that uh, probably earlier on for some of these young men who are coming in as opposed to waiting until they are into their junior year
2: Brady with with a quarterback like Ian book or someone else who has as a solid amount of game experience how do you determine whether a quarterback has maybe maxed out his potential or that he still has room left to grow and make improvements
0: so potential is a funny thing right like I think if you look at how you define it you know in, in certain players and people, You know, for example, like Josh Allen was a player that he came out of Wyoming and went into the NFL. Everyone kept saying, wow, think about the potential. Think about the potential. What they're basically saying was, he's not a finished product. He's a big athletic kid with an incredibly strong arm. And he's still learning how to throw with touch. He's still learning how to throw with accuracy. And he was still learning really how to play the quarterback position. You know, I don't think Ian's in that position where he's still learning how to play. I think there's some different nuances that he's learning. But I think as far as, you know, overall his, his toughness and his, uh, his ability to take care of the football and how, how well he throws accurately with the football, like all those things are, are not things he uh, needs to really improve upon much. I'm sure there's certain throws he wants back or certain things he wants to work on, but, you know, from that standpoint, um, I think you get a negative connotation with saying, well, someone's, you know, at their ceiling. Well, that could be a really good thing. You know, that, that means they're a more polished, more finished product. Um, you know, is he going to be able to, you know, get a stronger arm or, You know, get that much faster. I mean, probably not. You know, as far as probably what his talent or skill is right now, it's probably what it is. But that doesn't mean he can't have a statistically better year or he can't improve and and make better decisions and be even more accurate to football um, or or make even more plays. Like all those things are still out there for him. But I think what we get lost up in thinking is we always think that it's all about the quarterback making those improvements and not everyone else out around him. You know, this, the growth of a quarterback a lot of times can be contributed to. The wide receivers, the O line, the, the, the play caller, the things around him that help him um, end up having a better year, end up having a better season. So, you know, my my more, I'm not concerned about Ian at all. Not with him, you know, Tommy Reese calling to plays in this offense or his ability or anything. I, I think whether or not you know he can continue to you know step up, people are going to look at his stats to determine that. When really, it's it's more of like who's going to take over Chase Claypool, you know, who, who's going to take over for Cole as soon as the players are moving on, right? Um, and so th- those are more the questions that you're, that I think you really have to, you know, answer in order to see, you know, how it's going to impact him and how he's going to be able to grow from that.
1: Brady, was there ever a window where you considered coaching, either when you were just finishing playing or when you're just starting broadcasting or even before you got into playing pro football? Were you thinking about it at all?
0: I've thought about it a lot. Um, I really have. I think the hardest part is, when you get into coaching, you are sacrificing, you know, raising your kids to raise others' kids, to be quite honest with you. You know, it's a 24-7, 365-day-a-year job, and I think that's the hardest thing for me is I have two beautiful young girls, I have a third child on the way, wow. and I love every moment of free time I have with them. And I think that's the hardest thing is wanting to give up that time with them um, and wanting to give up, you know, the opportunity to go see them you know, every single day and be able to talk to them about their day and and just watch them grow and all that, like, that's the hardest part for me is making that decision because of my desires or or what I, you know, want to do when in reality, you know, it affects them, you know, just as much as anything else. So uh, that's the hardest thing, I think, for me right now with all of it is kind of really enjoying just where I'm at as a dad. And, you know, I, I think it'd be tough for me with looking at how, especially at the college level, these guys recruit, I mean, they, they have the early signing day period now and, and these guys are recruiting and recruiting. And then all of a sudden you get the early signing period and then everyone forgets about national signing day, which used to be a huge day coming up here at the Super Bowl. And you know, it's like now that's kind of reserved for transfers or two players. And, and then, but they're really looking on to the next year's class. Like they're not worried about 2020, they're looking at 2021. Right. So it's just, you know, that, that to me, I think would be tough at this point in my time in my life.
2: Brady, you mentioned earlier about uh Tommy's commitment to the running game. How what what's the value in promoting someone like Lance Taylor as the running from the running backs coach to run game coordinator and having some consistency there with those guys and continuity there with those guys in, in addition to working alongside Jeff Quinn as the offensive line coach and and figuring out what they want to do with the running game rather than maybe bringing in a new coach with an outside perspective?
0: Yeah, I think the biggest thing is you don't have to you have a changeover in terminology and you don't have to start over at square one. You know, Greg, there's still going to be some things that are changing and adjusting, but, um, you know, it's familiar faces, you know, you, you know, these guys are now are working together, uh, cohesive, you know, cohesively to, to make, you know, this offense and take strides within, you know, what they're going to do moving forward. So, you know, I think not having to make Ian, not having to make the rest of the offense go through a big transition in terminology is the first thing. Uh, and then there's other things even within the terminology, you know, it could be how you want, you know, you get you know, Joe Moorhead or someone else comes in and they might say, Well, hey, this is how Tracy McSorley used to drop back system. And so maybe you want to change up his full work and than that. You know, for a guy coming into those fifth years, last year in every game, it's like, do you really want to mess around with a guy who's got good fundamentals and, you know, already, already has all those things kind of covered? Do you really want to have to change that? I want to have to change the terminology in which what he's using in his final year? So for that reason, I think, you know, it's better off because now instead of, You know, breaking it back all down again and building it back up. You know, to some degree, just making some alterations. You know, you're you're not, you know, you're not knocking that house down to build it back up and making a new house. You're just remodeling what's already there, and it's already a really nice house. So, um, you know, that's the advantage. You know, the that groups work together for a while. Um, I think the the biggest hurdle they have to figure out and and go through is their communication on game day between that group and how they go about calling plays because. You know They they had a certain way of doing it with Chip
1: Long. Now it's going to change now that time is gone. Brady, looking ahead to 2020, uh, Notre Dame plays a Shamrock Series game up in Green Bay, Wisconsin, against Wisconsin. Clemson comes to town in November. Uh, in the context of those two big games, do you think the Notre Dame program is in position to be competitive in those games? And I ask that because – some people lost confidence about their ability to do that because of what happened at Michigan.
0: Yeah, no, I think they're definitely going to have a chance to, to compete in all those games. Look, the fact that Clemson comes to their house that obviously helps. Now that team is going to be loaded. You know they've got a, they've got a number of guys returning, and I know they lose the wide receiver and the running back, and you know Isaiah Simmons on defense is a key component, but they got a lot of guys returning. So that to be the toughest test. I'm really not worried about, you know, Wisconsin quite as much. You know, Jonathan Taylor's moving on to the NFL level. You know, they've they're, – they're, I mean, and granted, you know, they're – that's what they do is they run the football and try to control the game, play the defense. But there's some other pieces that are moving on too. So, um, you know, that's a program that I think as you look forward, you know, as long as Notre Dame plays the way they're capable of. like When I look at their schedule, I really think the toughest test to be Clemson and then obviously playing out at USC. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I have no idea what's going to be the, the status or situation with Clay Helton at that point, but the, the Keaton Slob is coming back, the school of wide receivers they have. Uh, I have a hard time believing they're not going to be you know, a, a top 25-ranked team at that point and, and be very competitive. And we saw a close that game was in South Bend. You know, now you got to finish the end of the season out there in, in Los Angeles. So, uh, honestly, the, the schedule, in my opinion, sets up very, 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 favorable for them to make a run. I, I think it's... You know, it, it's tough to see like the, the Western Missions on the schedule and all that. That you know, and you saw some you know max schools this, this past year, and it's just you know, it, you never remember seeing that in the past. You know, so I, I think the way it's set up, it does set up very, very well for. I think they can make a run at it. And uh, outside of Clemson, I mean, really, that's the only team that you know. I'm not sure how many of, you know the other teams on the schedule you're really that concerned with.
2: Eric, had you look forward, I'm going to have you look back. What, how would you describe the 2019 season that Notre Dame just had?
0: Oh man, you know I, I honestly feel like if you would ask people before the season started what you anticipated the record to be, um, they probably would have said, you know, they—you know—were a team that will probably go ten and two because their their two toughest opponents were on the road to Georgia and Michigan, and if they're going to lose two games, those are going to be the two games they're going to lose. So, to, to be quite honest with you, I think it, it probably. Ended up turning out the way most would have anticipated. Or if you were, you know, if you're a book, you know, right, and, and you were betting on what, how many wins they would have, um, it was probably what most people anticipated. But, um, you know, obviously the, obviously the, bowl game was a great win. I think the way they capped it off, that was huge. That makes it that much, you know, that much better. And I think the, the way the game went, the way the game went, um, in, in the Michigan game in particular, that one, it, it's just, you know, I don't have any reservations on how they're going to perform on a big stage versus a good opponent. It was just, it was disappointing after what we saw at Georgia. I thought they played their tails off at Georgia. I, I felt, you know, proud even though it was in a losing effort. I, I really was of I and mean, just everyone how they played. The Michigan one was just hard to understand. Um, and, and maybe that was just Michigan's best day and Notre day worst. worse. Sometimes I happens. you know, I experienced that throughout the course of my career where it just doesn't feel like you could do anything right and the other team does everything right. So, um, you know, that, that's, that's all i chalk it up to. But I always say the season went probably about, the way a bookmaker would have expected given, you know, who they're playing, where they're playing.
2: All right, Brady, that's all we have for you. We appreciate you taking time to share your insight with us.
0: Thanks for having me on. Guys, really appreciate it. Have a good one. Go
2: Irish. You're listening to the Pot of Gold podcast presented by Zaxby's. True crime lovers are always looking for new and engaging content.
0: The Already Gone podcast covers stories from Michigan and the Great
2: Lakes region. Cases you haven't heard before, like the Mayo Hunters or the murder of 16-year-old Justin Mello, plus better-known cases like
0: the death of Jane Bashara and Illinois' own Lori Dan. Already
2: Gone started in 2016, so there is a big back catalog for you to enjoy. Find Already Gone on Apple Podcasts, Good Pods, or your favorite podcatcher. Now it's time for Place Your Bets. How much you want to make a bet
0: I can throw a football over the mountains?
2: This is our segment dedicated to the degenerates. I thought we could do a little predicting for the future in regards to Notre Dame's offense and Field Dracovic, Eric. The first one I have for us is in Chip Long's debut as the Notre Dame offensive coordinator. The average scored 49 points against Temple. So I set the over-under at 48.5 points for Notre Dame in Tommy Reese's debut as the offensive coordinator in the 2020 season opener against Navy.
1: Yeah, Notre Dame, against a pretty good Navy defense, put up more than that this year. Um, and Notre Dame put up a lot of points against Navy in 2012 in a game in Dublin, Ireland. Uh, but I I just think that, again, it being an opener, being a little bit of a blind date kind of thing uh, – the score is going to be lower. I'm going to go under on that. I, I think Navy will have a new quarterback and they'll just be a little bit more conservative. And really, their their offense dictates a lot of what your score can right, be because absolutely. Of how many possessions they let you have, how much they can sit on the ball.
2: Yeah, that's why I went under too. Although, it certainly wouldn't be surprising if uh, Navy can't sustain any drives and Notre Dame's defense continues to have success against Navy and um, Notre Dame's offense just outpowers them because they're. Uh, we'll have enough possessions to do that. But I'm going to go what I feel like is the more safe route and go with under as well. All right, next one I have for us, Eric, is over under 34.2 points per game for Notre Dame in 2020.
1: You know, they scored 37 points a game this year, which was a program best. It didn't match sync up with a lot of their other offensive numbers. A lot of that was the defense turning it over and giving them good field position. Sure, um, But I think... This offense will be better next year, and I think that there's not as many good defensive teams. You have Clemson and Wisconsin, but you have a
2: lot of Arkansas too on that schedule. So I'm going to say higher, over. Yeah, I'll go over as well. 34.2 was what Notre Dame averaged in 2017, which was Chip Long's first year as the offensive coordinator, so that's where I got that number from. Um, so I think if they were to go under that, I think people would really be um, – maybe frustrated and maybe describe uh, Notre Names offense as taking a step back if that were to happen in uh, 2020. Um, but I think uh, they'll be able to uh, go over 34.2 points per game. Next one, will Phil Dracovic be granted an NCAA waiver to be immediately eligible at Boston College? I would be able to answer this better if
1: I knew who his lawyer was, but I'm, <laughs> I'm guessing that with him really rushing to get into a school – for the second semester and being able to go through spring that he's got a pretty good plan. So I'm going to say yes.
2: Yeah. I, I, it doesn't make sense to me necessarily, but I will say yes as well. It, it, it seems like quarterbacks always get granted this, this immediate eligibility and um, they, I don't know why it works out that way. Um, maybe the NCAA just feels like it, it it's better for them to um, have the potential stars of the game to play right away and not have to sit out and uh, disappear. But um, I would be interested to hear what, what his case for that is. I, also interested to see if Notre Dame would fight that. I, I think it's probably not a great look for Notre Dame to do that. If they feel like Phil wasn't good enough to be our starting quarterback, we shouldn't be that upset about him leaving to go somewhere else to potentially be a starter. And they won't play him until 2022, which he would be able to play against Notre Dame whether he played in this next year or not. So... Um, I, I, if, and if, if, if he stays that long, um, he certainly could go there and have a great career and decide to leave for the NFL before that. But, um, I will go with yes. Um, and we'll just have to see. I don't, I don't, nothing really makes sense to me any, anymore when it comes to the NCAA waivers for transfers. Um, so, uh, I'll just, uh, go with yes as well. Uh, last one over under 34 passing touchdowns in any season at Boston College for Phil Dracovic. You know, they have a new coach who will have his own
1: philosophy. But I just don't see Boston College coming up with great wide receivers. I think it's easier for them to recruit running backs and, and offensive linemen and have that be their feature. So I'm going under.
2: Yeah, I'm going under as well. Although it would be interesting to see if Phil goes into next season and plays really well um, and maybe doesn't throw over 34, but what, what kind of a recruiting impact that would have. Because you would think at a place like Boston College, if they can get good receiver recruits, those guys might not have to wait very long to play. Um, so, uh, but I will go under, um, I, I hope Phil ha- goes on to have a good career. I, I'm a- uncertain. I, I didn't see as much from him at Notre Dame as I thought we would. Um, so I, I, and I don't disagree with Notre Dame's choice to keep Ian Book as the starter and, um, have a clear separation between Hill and him and Phil Dracovic. Um, but, uh, I, I'm, I'm very curious to see how things play out for him, um, at Boston College. All right. Now it's time for questions.
0: Just tell me when you guys, are we done with USC? Everybody's done. You guys are kidding me. That's all you want to talk about. All right,
1: let's go.
2: You can submit questions to us on Twitter before each podcast. I'm at TJamesNDI and Eric's at E. First one I have for us, Eric, is from Baba Ganoush at PLACT underscore ITFDB. I don't have a problem with naming... With the naming of Tommy Reese as offensive coordinator, but I'm curious if any one candidate was interviewed for the position. Even if BK was leaning towards Reese, wouldn't it still make sense to explore other options to ensure all options have been exhausted?
1: I, you know, in the release for Tom being Tommy being coming the offensive coordinator, they used the term exhaustive national search. Yeah. I'm not sure that that isn't a little bit embellished, if not a lot embellished. But I do think Brian Kelly went into it with an open mind, looked at other options. Certainly Joe Moorhead's name jumped up there, Todd Munkin to a lesser extent. And I'm sure that there were options that Brian thought about that maybe didn't get too far down the road with just because he didn't think there was a fit there. So, um to answer your question, I, I think he did do diligence. I don't know that it was exhaustive.
2: Yeah, and I think I would say that I think he explored other options. I think I I wouldn't say that he didn't think about other things and reach out to other people. Now, do we know that anyone else came to campus for an interview? Not not to my knowledge. I don't I don't think that happened. Um, and so um, that maybe doesn't look or sound great, but um, if they were. If the conversations with the people that they were interested beyond Tommy Reese went in a direction that made them uncertain whether they, they would be a fit and that they didn't necessarily need to bring them on campus for an interview, then um, that's the decision they went with. So, yeah, I think I think the answer lies somewhere in between exhaustive national search and exploring other options, um, but it did seem like Tommy Reese was he was the guy that needed to be knocked off the throne to, to take this offensive coordinator role um, going into next season, and uh, no one was able to do that. Next question is from Josh Melton at Joshua Melton. The reactions to Reese being hired as offensive coordinator have been tepid at best. Any idea how close they were to hiring someone like Moorhead? Seems like that would have been a great match on the outside looking in.
1: I would not call it tepid. I would call there being polarizing <laughs> yeah, opinions yeah, about yeah. this and pretty pretty opinionated. I mean, people were really, really excited about this or really disappointed with it. Yeah. Um, you know, I think the Moorhead – part was real from the standpoint that Brian looked at it and there was maybe some mutual interest. Uh, that They share the same agent, um, Trace Armstrong, and I think that's where that concept got introduced. But ultimately, you know, I, I question whether that was a fit. Sure. Uh, just because of the reasons why he was let go at Mississippi State. Absolutely right. You just let go somebody because of non-X's and O's. Reasons and you're considering
2: somebody who was let go at Mississippi State for non exes and no reasons. So, right, yeah, I think there was just as many questions about Joe Moorhead's fit as there were like reasons why it made sense for him to fit as well. So, um, in terms of how close did they come to hiring him, I, 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 mean, I don't think there was a, pr- a contract printed out waiting for him to right. sign or anything like that. Um, and like we said, we're not sure that a, a formal interview even took place. Um, but, um, We'll have to see how it plays out. I, I, it, I think there's reason to believe that if Joe Moorhead were hired that it would work out. But there, I think, like I mentioned, there's just, and you mentioned as well, there's just as many reasons to, to wonder if it would have worked out and if he, if he would have been the right fit here at Notre Dame. Next question is from Greg Flaming at Greg2126. Is it your sense that Kelly always preferred Reese and the rest was due diligence or that he had someone else in mind who didn't work out and settled on Reese later?
1: Um, I haven't talked to Brian about it, but f- the vibe that I got from the very beginning was that Reese was the front runner in this. And, right. I you know, I, I don't know that there's anything wrong with that. I think the things that I thought were critical to Brian was that he did look outside just to make sure that he was making the right choice. But I know when we have job openings, there's times there are people that we know of that we think would be a good candidate, and sometimes we've hired them and sometimes we haven't. Um, you know, Mike Verrell was a complete stranger to us. Yeah. And and he's just plain strange now, but we're very happy that we found him. And I was a program hire. And, and, and Tyler, <laughs> I was a – uh, Tyler was your friend. Tyler was the Tyler E. Reese. Uh,
2: I was the former intern two times that you guys hired. Correct. So – I I mean, I don't
1: think there's a one size fits all solution, but I think it's very natural when you have an opening where somebody pops in your head, especially if you're a big fan of of their work. And and uh, so I don't think that there's anything wrong with that.
2: Yeah, I think whether or not it's fair to say that Reese was the preferred choice from the beginning or not, I think Reese was always the most important factor in the decision. Um, whether it was going to be Reese himself or they were going to hire someone else in, that person needed to be someone that would coexist well with Tommy Reese. And I think that was a priority. Um, At least that's my opinion. I don't know that for sure. But I I believe that to be um, kind of how Brian Kelly went about this um, and what Brian Kelly valued. We would love to ask Brian Kelly about that more at some point. But um, at least that's how I see it. Um, If they hired someone else, it it would need to be a compliment to Tommy Reese. And not just someone to sort of take over and 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 Reese to to just uh, resume his his quarterbacks coach role. Next question is from Jeff Staley at J E Staley zero one. Why would Mike ben, De, Mike Denbrock be willing to step down as the offensive coordinator at Cincinnati to be a tight end coach at Notre Dame? Seems like a step back, especially since Cincinnati has had successful seasons with him on staff.
1: Now, we're speculating that he would want to do this. And, right. And, yeah, we and don't know that he would. Yeah, yeah he's base, basing that on my suggestion that this would be a good fit. How I see it working, if it happened, would be Mike would have a title very similar to what Mike Elston has, which is associate head coach. So there would be a big bump in <laughs>
2: – Assistant associate like, yeah. head coach. The name of the titles are funny, but, yeah, I know what you mean.
1: yeah. I think I think I think Mike's title is associate head coach. No it is. No, yeah, yeah. you're
2: right. No, I was just, so what I was saying, what would Den Brock's title be? A co-associate head coach or well, assistant it would be associate... on offense right, yeah. and one on yeah, defense. Yeah, sure. And,
1: and so there would be a bump in pay there. would also be the thought that Mike is not really t- Tommy isn't really Mike's boss that there's a uh, shared responsibility there. Right. Um, I know that Mike liked South Bend a lot. I know that he comes back. He had prostate cancer a few years ago and his oncologist is in South Bend, Mm -hmm. and he's occasionally here. Um, He loves Notre Dame, and Notre Dame certainly can lead to good things. He's gotten a chance now to be a play caller for five seasons, two at Notre Dame, and three at Cincinnati, and has been pretty successful in all those endeavors. Um, So... I think it's something he would consider. I don't think it's a slam dunk he would say yes, but those are the reasons why I think he would consider
2: it. Yeah, and if people aren't knocking down his door to take jobs elsewhere, um, who's to say that coming back to Notre Dame and serving in some type of role like you described is worse for his resume than continuing to be at at Cincinnati as the offensive coordinator? I think there could be some value in having whatever title he would get at Notre Dame in addition to being a tight ends coach if – as we're speculating, could be a possibility. So, um, And wh- who knows what his goals are beyond that. If he wants to become a head coach in the future, maybe he's coming to a real – uh, again, more speculation. Maybe he's coming to a realization that maybe maybe people aren't ready for Mike Denbrock to be a head coach anytime soon, and so there's other things that he could do to maybe fill out his resume to to become a better coach or – um, just really likes working with Brian Kelly and like, likes the idea of maybe working with Tommy Reese and helping him out a, a, as a first-time offensive coordinator.
1: Right. For for me, I think there's still a lot of pluses if, if that were to happen because he checks so many boxes – other than he's not somebody that's a stranger to Brian Kelly, which people seem <laughs> that's to the want.
2: biggest box for some people. <laughs> <Right. yeah. laughs>
1: but I mean he can co- he's coached tight ends before he's coached every position and he can recruit. basically on offense he can recruit he could help the offensive line coaching he certainly would be able to take things off of Tommy Reese's place played in terms of structuring practice and things like that. So I think it's something
2: that Brian should consider and I think it's something he is considering. All right, next question is from Notre Dame fan at Irish Zibby. Do you think they add a new coach to the offensive staff to fill the tight end coach position, or will they have someone else cover that position from within the staff?
1: Well, I guess the only way you could go with that, if you were going to hire within and it wasn't uh, an analyst or a grad assistant, would be Brian Polian – Moving from special teams to tight ends, which yeah,
2: yeah, I think yeah, Napoleon coached tight ends at A and M for a season, right? Um, Also, I mean, there was the pipe dream of people wanted Harry Heastine to come back to be the offensive line coach, and then Jeff Quinn move over to coach tight ends, which obviously we don't believe is 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 a possibility. Um, So, I think that's maybe where the question comes from, but. I don't know that there's any candidates on staff from the lower levels, like you mentioned, like the grad assistants or, or the analysts. Or that a, would make or sense. Or really
1: move for Polian to go
2: there. Yeah, well, it would yeah, be weird for Polian to be the special teams coordinator, the tight ends coach, and the recruiting coordinator. That would right. be a, a lot of responsibility for one person. So um, then, they, if they did that, then they would have to shuffle something else. Does someone else become the special well, teams coordinator? Does someone else become the recruiting coordinator? they'd an
1: outside hire at some point. Right.
2: Yeah. <laughs> So I think, that's, I think that's what we're likely to see with, with the tight ends coach now. If it's Mike Denbrock, people will say, well, that's not really an outside hire anyways, but um, I think we already discussed why we think that could potentially make sense. Next question is from Hurley Fever. At Hurley Fever, what do you think the likelihood is that Indy hires a center-slash-guard coach and moves Jeff Quinn to the tackle-slash-tight-end coach?
1: I think, if, I think that there are candidates beyond Mike Denbrock where you could have something. I think it would be flipped. I think Jeff would probably have the title of interior and and that the other person would coach tackles and tight ends. You know, Mike Denbrock, in his first trip at Notre Dame, he was in that role. It was John McDonnell and and
2: Mike Denbrock, and they both kind of coached all the –
1: right yeah it's positions. just a
2: title more or less rather yeah. than who's it like you can, Mike Denbrock was allowed to coach someone besides the tackles like he wasn't only limited to talking to yeah. those guys
1: the the thing is you know the criticism of Jeff Quinn is that he's not technique driven enough that he's more analyst driven play driven and maybe a second set of eyes helps give you that technique guy to combine with what Jeff does well look the the grades keep coming in, and, and and the one thing people are forgetting is the pass blocking. Yep. Uh, I, I mean, Notre Dame, its last year with Harry was, I think, 73rd in sacks allowed when they won the um, Joe Moore Award. Right. And then Jeff's first year, they were 49th, and this year they were 12th. They had the second highest grade by pro football focus in terms of pass blocking. And that's with
2: losing your right side starters,
1: right? And so you can't just completely dismiss there, but I do think that there are areas for improvement. the The thing that's kind of interesting too is that is was some of this problems with the run blocking a Chip Long, Jeff Quinn discord sure, problem. Right. But but back to the question, I, I wouldn't. You know, I I think that's a viable alternative that somebody else coaches tight ends and gives um, another look to the interior offensive
2: line with there's another set of eyes yeah it's to me it, it's funny the Jeff Quinn stuff so much of it feels like people already had their minds made up before Jeff Quinn was hired as the offensive line coach at Notre Dame whether or not he was going to be a good coach here and so I feel like that colors a lot of the coaching conversation not just with Jeff Quinn with a lot of coaches when we when we see a coach hired everyone we're asked to have opinions and we don't necessarily know what's going to happen and some of us may like a hire some of us may not like a hire but i think that maybe sets the expectations for folks and then um maybe colors the opinion moving forward regardless of maybe how things are working out with that coach so that's why this time of year is one of my least favorites when it comes to football because i have no idea if we're being honest of which coach is going to be a good coach i do I think there's reasons why Tommy Reese could be an offense coordinator? Yes. Do I know if it's going to work out for Tommy Reese? I, I have no idea. Now I, I feel a little bit better because I have seen Tommy Reese coach people here at Notre Dame before with the new people that come in from that you don't have experience with. It's you're, you're relying on talking to other folks uh, about about them and seeing why they believe that that person would be a good coach and why they would have success. But everyone has a little bias when it comes to that too because people you're you're not you're it's hard to find people that, for stories that you're going to quote that are like. Yeah, I worked with Tommy Reese with the with Northwestern, and he he really was not very good. So th- yeah. there's no chance that he's gonna be, have success yeah. at at Notre Dame. It's so it, it's it's a very weird situation. I think that's a lot of what how not say, and I'm not saying Jeff Quinn has done a great job as the offensive line coach at Notre Dame. I think in previous podcasts I said that I thought he did had an he did an average job this year, where I think he was above average at pass blocking and probably below average in terms of run blocking. Um, so I. That's just something that keeps coming up in my mind as we go through this process of replacing coaches and, and naming new coaches and figuring out what coaches are the right fit, what what position needs Notre name needs and um just remember that we don't really know how this is all gonna work out. I don't know that anyone predicted a brilliance from Clark Lee. I thought we we felt that maybe he could have a good do a good job at doing it and he didn't have experience being a defensive coordinator either. So I know it's a little bit of a tangent that maybe wasn't a direct answer to Hurley Fever's question, but um I think When it comes to a tight ends coach, um, I think it's probably best to have someone come in that maybe has a a good understanding of the offensive line play that can work in tandem with Jeff Quinn.
1: My biggest thing, and and I like the tangent where that question actually went, how do you determine whether a guy's going to be a good assistant coach? And I do think you have to trust the head coach somewhat with the fit part of it, Mm -hmm. although Brian Van Gorder was a miserable <laughs> failure with it with a fit right thought but i i can understand why brian kelly liked that but what i tr- really tried to do with a reese was talk to people that had spent time with him and we had brady quinn on today right and brady did spend time with him um you know braxton cave chuck martin and when you looked at the reaction on twitter you know all these people that had either um, were on the team, maybe not necessarily his right. position players. Guys like Mike mclinchy were excited about this opportunity. I didn't see anybody that that was connected with Notre Dame and that has moved on. I mean, certainly Mike McGlinchey could have said, are you kidding me? Or he could have just not said anything not at said all. Not said anything. Right. And there was just so much positive i mean zach martin and and tommy were friends i saw them at Buffalo wild wings a lot (laughs) i expected that one but mike mclinchy was a different one
2: sure all right next question is from conrad tokyo at chief underscore 222 any ideas on what's the plan with the two additional spots left for the coaching staff
1: well i mean they're they're they certainly have some flexibility with the offensive one with the defensive one i mean you want a really good recruiter you want a, you know, a guy that's going to teach cornerback play the way Clark Lee and Terry Joseph want it. Those are your bosses, right? And um, there's quite a challenge there. You can't shirk on either because the cor- cornerback recruiting hasn't been stellar, right? And the cornerback development is so critical to the 2020 season yes. and how this team is right. going to have its bottom line. So you're going to have to get somebody really, really good. Whether that translates to somebody that's young, and some of the names that we've seen are guys with not a lot of experience, or or you want to go after an experienced guy uh, like
2: Jeff Burris. I don't I don't think Jeff Burris is still in play, but I think he'd be a good one. Yeah. So can, I'm going to spin off of this question based off of how you answered that question. What do you think is more important? Or what will be the more important hire go, for the twenty twenty season alone? Tommy Reese as the offensive coordinator or the cornerbacks coach?
1: I still think it's Reese, but I think the cornerbacks coach is sneaky important.
2: Okay, yeah, I, I I think I agree with you. I think it's still Reese just because of the the impact he would have on a on a play to play basis. But um, right. the cornerbacks coach is a very important hire.
1: Well, when and again, when you look at
2: you know it used to be.
1: Championships win, and I wrote this earlier, championships right. win defense, or he defense wins win championships, championships win defense. <laughs> I had it backwards. Um, uh, but you look at the teams that were in the playoff this year and they were all up there in total offense. They were in the all four in the top six in total offense, all four in the top six in scoring offense. And that wasn't how it used to be. You know there would be gaps there. You'd have maybe the number one defense and the number thirty total offense. Notre Dame is forty third in total offense, even though they were thirteenth in scoring offense. There's another level that they have to get to to be a national. They're actually their defensive numbers are what you're looking for. Right. I mean Clark Lee's got them there. Now they need to get it
2: get it on the offensive side. Next question is from John Dillon at Dills127. How different, if at all, do you expect next year's offense to be giving Reese Reese being named as the offense coordinator and Lance Taylor as the run game coordinator?
1: Well, I know that Brian Kelly at the beginning of the year talked about how much Notre Dame's DNA and its identity went to running the ball, and he felt like that would be a strength this year, and it wasn't. Mm Um, They had to get pretty creative to get that rating up to about 45th in the country in rush offense. I think, you know, Brady Quinn mentioned this too, that that's going to be re-emphasized. Not that you're going to get away from being balanced and throwing the ball, but I think they're going to get back to Notre Dame's DNA, and then they're going to build off of that in the passing game. So I do think we're going to see some different things. We saw him in the bowl game. We saw uh,
2: Ian Book under center more. Right, right. Um, you know, they were doing some more like tight end leads too. Like the, they'd have the tight end lead through the the hole. That was the the play that Tony Jones scored his 84-yard run on. Tommy Tremble led him through that hole, and then um, t- Tony Jones was able to break through there. That wasn't something that Notre Dame did a lot. T- they would usually have our tight ends maybe going backside for on zone zone plays rather than leading through a hole like they did on that play. So that's just a small wrinkle, but we'll see um, how that how that changes moving forward. Right. I mean,
1: some things that we don't know is, you know, how much two and three tight ends will we see based on the fact that Cole Komet's not one of them. Right. Uh, will we see the two back looks that we saw a little yeah, bit? Yeah. And I think there's some guys that, whose role could change a little bit. Maybe Jafar Armstrong's role changes a little bit. Um, maybe chris tyree's used a little bit differently than chip would have envisioned yeah so i think it's going to be interesting but i don't think we're going to you're going to say oh that's the chip long offense
2: right and it would you would think that tommy would be more deferential to jeff quinn and lance taylor when it came to organizing the running game than maybe chip long was um and not uh, we don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing we'll find out um but uh so i think that should be a good thing in terms of being on the same page and not having conflict between the coaching staff in terms of the direction the running game should be going i,
1: I will say this i i was talking to a really good source the other night and 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 harry Hestan and chip did get along very well mm-hmm. and my source told me that it wasn't just a Jeff Quinn thing. Whoever they hired that wasn't Harry was not. <laughs> yeah, he had going impossible to be, shoes to fill. Yeah, in yeah. Chip's eyes, yeah, you know, n- never mind the fan our perception. Base. Yeah, right. In Chip's mind, Chip was never
2: going to give them the benefit of the doubt he gave Harry and sure. the deference he gave
1: Harry. Right,
2: and that makes that makes some sense too. I mean, yeah. you can't be bullheaded about it, but you got to yeah. also know that yeah, whoever we're getting probably isn't going to be as good as Harry Eastman either. So. Um, but we you will, still have to work with them. Right, you still have to work with them and make that work, and it's, yeah. that's your job. It's your responsibility as yeah. the offensive coordinator to make that happen. All right, next question is from Seth Turner at S. Turner 86 What's the narrative for Brian Kelly if Book does not show improvement against our tougher opponents and if the offense as a whole regresses?
1: Okay, so what should our narrative
2: yeah, be? Yeah, I wasn't sure. Are we? I don't know if he's like digging at Brian Kelly in terms of were we supposed to be how Brian Kelly would spin this if that's what ends up happening, or yeah. if, what our opinion would be if that does indeed happen? So I'm not really sure which way to take it. I, I think it's better to, and more honest if we just take it what our opinion would be rather than try to say whatever Brian Kelly would be or what.
1: So we're what, saying the offense regresses and, and they lose those two big games.
2: Yeah, does, I mean, to me, I think he's hinting at does it mean that Tommy Reese was the wrong decision? I think that's, I mean, that's what I thought he was hinting at by this question, but I don't know. I or, mean, there's, or, or, there are or other... would it be something else to blame it on. I guess is maybe maybe what he's asking is there something besides the this offensive coordinator hire that could indicate well or lead to this?
1: Uh, you know the th- the thing about this twenty nineteen Notre Dame team, and I'm going to be writing this later in the week. There are twenty four cat uh, uh, statistical categories that I think are really important that I track every week. Mm-hmm. Nine of them are offensive, nine defensive there's five special teams and there's turnover margin which kind of encompasses everything. Right. Notre Dame had Kelly era highs on 10 of those 24 and second best on five. So to me that's a program that's kind of pointing in the right direction. In 2012 of those 24 categories Alabama was better than Notre Dame in 20 of them and they tied in one. So it was 20 to 3 to 1. Yeah. This year Alabama fourteen nine to one. When you stack it up, LSU and Notre Dame twelve to twelve. Oh wow! So so there are things that they are they're getting better at now. Now the so when you look at that and you look at Michigan's statistics, I mean Michigan seventy seventh in rushing offense, sixty eighth in total offense. How did that happen? Yeah, none of that reflects how the game
2: played out in in Ann Arbor versus Notre Dame. Dame, So to
1: me, I don't know that this is so much of a Tommy Reese referendum as it is a Brian Kelly taking the next step in evolution of this program referendum. They used to have something called Clemsoning. It was a bad thing and Clemson did it. Yeah, yeah. And 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 one day Clemson stopped Clemsoning. And that's what Notre Dame has to do. Stop. Clemsoning,
2: yeah, and that's what's so strange about. Like, we all believe. I think it's it's safe to say that the Notre Dame Michigan game was an anomaly for this season. It was an anomaly of Notre Dame's team. That that's not who Notre Dame's team was, and it probably wasn't really who, who Michigan's team was. But it's it seems to be uh, repetitive, and that it seems to have happened multiple times for Brian Kelly in different seasons. And so that's why it's it's hard to figure out if, is that a trend and is that Brian Kelly's fault. What is he doing? And I think it has to fall on him. Um, when, the, when you're talking about a series of events that seem to keep reoccurring that in, in big moments that Notre Dame isn't quite up to snuff. And that that was kind of what I wrote about a little bit immediately following the Georgia game. It's like, man, they they were right there, but they still weren't good enough. And then <laughs> Michigan came along, and they they didn't look like they belonged in the same field as Michigan, even though in, a, in any measurement after the season you'd say, yeah, Notre Dame was probably a better team than Michigan, but they just weren't <laughs> anywhere close to them on that day. All right, next question is from Irish Fan 10 at Irish Fan 102. Based on Josh Lugg's performance as a starter, what do you expect his role to be in 2020? Do you expect there to be an open competition on the right side of the line this spring?
1: I don't know. I mean, I think you always kind of have an open competition, but I think that based on the games that everybody all the starters played, Kramer and Hainsy had a really good year, and Hainsy's a captain. I don't think you're you're bumping Hainsy, right. and I and, and Tommy Kramer was on these all American teams.
2: <laughs> although it was, a strange we'll see if he makes it back to, again next yeah. year. Not that he didn't, not that he didn't play well this past year, but I, I, it's just it's just kind of funny. We think that has more to do with his recruiting ranking and people just looking back and right. saying, oh, "Well, Notre Dame's got good offensive lines. Who's their stud offensive lineman?" I,
1: I think Josh Lugs role is going to be the same. He's going to be the first man in. And if they have an injury, you know, I don't know he, who we would necessarily push. I don't think Aaron Banks had the year people thought he was going to have. I agree. Um, but he also is a guy that when you look and you say, boy, he's also a guy that could make a big jump in one year. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I see Lug as the sixth man.
2: Yeah. I think they would have to do some shuffling on the, and I, to me, he's not a one-for-one replacement for Kramer or Haney, unless those guys, for some reason, have trouble returning from their injuries. Um, then I, I don't really see him replacing those guys. Now, like you mentioned with Aaron Banks, I think Aaron Banks and Jarrett Patterson, based off of their play last season, in my mind, would be the most vulnerable for uh, to be replaced. Now we know Josh Lugg is takes, taking snaps at center. Do I, do I think he's going to be a center? Probably not. But he's a in case of emergency center. I, I know. Robert Haynes is a guy. Well, maybe he could move to center, but do you really want to move a guy that has so much experience playing right tackle down to center? I don't know. I mean, maybe Jeff Quinn feels pressured to make some major changes in this offseason and, and what isn't pleased with how how things went. And um, but I think they'd have to do some major shuffling to get Josh Lugg into the lineup. And I don't know that he is the talent that is worth doing that for. I think he's I think he's a good offensive lineman. I think he's a great sixth man. And I think he, we saw this year that he could be capable fill-in for any of those guys and I think he could probably play any of the five starting positions if someone goes down and maybe that's what his role ends up being but um, I think there would sort of have to be some radical moves in order to find his way into the starting lineup going into the season next question is from Tom Schuster at TJS Domer 2 when can I expect to see a healthy dose of Chris Tyree
1: I think if you don't see it in September you should throw things at the TV because <laughs> I think that they have to find a way to get him a role. He's just too too much different than what else they have on the roster. And I'm not saying start him, yeah. but I think he has to at least have a niche role in September where he's maybe a third down back that comes in on third and long where you can hand him the ball or you can throw him the ball, get him in space.
2: Right. Do some of the things you saw Travis Etienne do in the playoff. Um, yeah, d- different positions, but kind of the role that Bray Lentz took on in November in terms of being able to be used in a number of different ways and right. and maybe not, not comparing their roles, but maybe comparing the usage, the amount that they would be used. And so um, I don't know if – I'm going to remain skeptical. I, I just Every time I see him, he just looks so small. Um, so I, I, I need – for me to be convinced that he's going to have a major role in this twenty twenty season, I think I'm going to need to wait until we see him in practice in August um, to feel comfortable with that. Now, I'm not I'm not saying that it's impossible for him to do that. And I, when you have that speed, you can overcome anything. Right. Um, but I just I just need to see it more to to feel more comfortable. Um, and that's not to say that there aren't opportunities for him to step up. I think that's maybe one of the big besides the speed. The biggest thing he has going for him is that there's not like a uh, uh, an alpha dog in that in that running back group right now that's you can't you can't take playing time away from so um, so I, I'm not I'm not really sure I, I'm I'm as anxious to see as anyone else but I, I'm not as confident as maybe some others are and maybe even you are it sounds like with you with yeah. the way you would be disappointed if he doesn't have that role by the end of September I, I am I I know that
1: he's small he's also got a lot of time to get bigger right um, and stronger and he's got one of the best strength and conditioning coaches although he doesn't have. A ton of one on one time with him. You know, he doesn't come till June, but he can do the uh, Matt Bayless program at home. It was interesting when I was talking to Brendan Clark's coach Mm -hmm. about Brendan. They played Tyree's team in the playoffs two years in a row. And he said he could see him getting on the field as a freshman as a slot receiver sometimes. And so, you know, again, I think there's a niche role for him. Sure. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it, just, it seems like Notre Dame has a few of those kind of guys. It's like, how do you, how do they juggle and figure out what what those roles are for well, people?
1: <laughs> I juggle it by saying run down there and whoever gets down Their there first gets this first chance yeah. at it. All right.
2: Our All right, last question we have is from Ryan Ritter at ND Techs. Any plans or bucket list items for you on your off-season Saturdays? I'm not even sure when those
1: fall. <laughs> uh, I'll probably – be working at least one of those, <laughs> and we went to see Jim. We we actually went as a group to see Jim Gaffigan. Uh, we went to Lombardi's Pizza and then went. Yeah, to that was that of... was bye week, right? Is that when we yeah, did that during the yeah. season? Yeah, isn't that what he's asking?
2: No, yes for off season Sunday, Saturdays, oh, off season, off season. Like right now, what are your what are your future? You got are you lining up plans for your future Saturdays? I know I am. I have at this this Saturday I'll be at a Brew Fest, and then there's one in February I'll be at a Brew Fest, so. There will be some – and it's not going to be every Saturday, but there will be some Saturdays that I will be enjoying some uh, – or very many uh, local beers, I, I, would, I could say. <laughs> For me, I've just been in the business so long and have
1: <laughs> sacrificed so many Saturdays that Saturday's not a different day to me. My friends and family have gotten used to that Saturday could be Sunday or my birthday could be in February right. because football interferes with a lot of those things. So, to me, every day's a big deal. But as far as like off days, grandkids, that's my right. mom's turning 90 yeah, um, you got in a for that. week. Um, so, there's, there's a lot. I'm sorry I misunderstood the question.
2: <laughs> no, you're right. No worries. All right. That's it for this week's episode of Pot of Gold. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Leave us a review or rating if you like what you hear. The Podicle Podcast is brought to you by Zaxby's, the home of handmade-to-order chicken, salads, and more than a dozen mild-to-wild sauces. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today. And Tire Rack, the way tire buying should be. We'll be back with another podcast as news dictates. Until then, stick with NDInsider.com for all your off-season coverage of Notre Dame football.